It is with great joy that I say to you, open your Bibles. Open your Bibles to John chapter 9. And uh, it has been an amazing and beautiful and great day already, hasn't it? Just to be here together with the saints. I feel like I'm a little, little, am I a little loud there? A little reverberating? To be here with the saints, to worship God together. And um, what a joy. What a joy it is to, to hear your voices ring out, sing out, as we proclaim God's greatness and goodness this morning. We pray now as we open God's word together that you'll be blessed by the hearing of God's word. John chapter 9, we're going to go ahead and read the whole chapter. We're looking at the very last few five, like five verses this morning, but instead of retell the whole story, let's just read it in God's word. No one can do better than the Lord himself. John chapter 9, this is the word of the living God. It is inspired, it is inerrant, it is without error, it is perfect and true, and we believe it. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man's, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming, when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he's opened your eyes, he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he see? The parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. 
We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and, would, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. So the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to him, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, what an amazing Savior we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. As we see him interact with this man who was born blind, we now all come together and remember how we also were born blind. And if it wasn't for you, Lord, we would no longer see. Father, so we thank you for the miracle of salvation that you have worked through your Son, Jesus Christ, through the power of your Holy Spirit, and through the work of your gospel in our hearts. Lord, we know that there may be some in this congregation today in the hearing of my voice who have yet to see that they still are trapped in their blindness, in their deafness. Their, stones are, their, their, their hearts are still like stones, impenetrable, impenetrable. Lord, but you have the ability, through the power of your Spirit and the working of your gospel, to open their eyes, to open their ears, to give them a new heart of flesh that they may see and know and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Lord, would you be kind and grant them repentance today. And for those of us who know you, we pray that you would continue to open our eyes even wider to the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you haven't figured it out yet, Jesus is the hero of this story. This story is all about Jesus. Yes, there are other characters in this story, the blind man, the blind man's parents, the Pharisees, the Jews, but Jesus is the hero of this narrative. It is his story. As some have said, history. It is his story that's all about Jesus. And as we watch Jesus, if we watch him and learn from him and listen to him and see what's happening here, our lives will be transformed. I see five main elements from this passage today that we're going to work through together. Number one, Jesus' search. Number two, Jesus' question. Number three, Jesus' revelation. Number four, Jesus' mission. And finally, Jesus' rebuke. 
So let's get started. Number one, Jesus search. We're looking at uh, verse 35a, John 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, the blind man, right? Jesus had heard they'd cast him out, and having found him, I'm going to stop right there. Jesus goes and searches for the man. Jesus finds the man. The man doesn't search for Jesus, but Jesus finds the man. He searches him out like God sought after Adam in the garden and like Jesus sought after Saul on the road to to, to Damascus. This is important for us to realize Jesus finds the man. The man doesn't find Jesus. Some make a lot about sometimes seeking after God, but C.S. Lewis in his wonderful biography called Surprised by Joy talks about his own conversion. Most of you know that C.S. Lewis was an atheist in England. He was a professor at Oxford and then later at Cambridge. Uh, In fact, during World War II, his voice was the second most recognized voice on the BBC, second only to Winston Churchill. Because you see, C.S. Lewis moved from his atheism to being a believer in Jesus Christ. And here's how he reflects on his own seeking after God. He says this, The odd thing was that before God closed in on me, and notice throughout the way he uses these words, the odd thing was that before God closed in on me, I wasn't in fact offered what now appears a moment of holy free choice. In a sense, he says, I was going up Headington Hill on the top of a bus without words and I think almost without images, a fact about myself when some, was somehow presented to me. I became aware that I was holding something at bay or shutting something out, or if you like, I was like wearing a stiff clothing like a corset or even a suit of armor as if I were a lobster. I felt myself being there and then given a free choice. I could open the door or keep it shut. I could unbuckle the armor or keep it on. Neither choice was presented as a duty No threat or promise was attached to either, though I knew that to open the door or to take off this armor meant the incalculable. The choice appeared to be momentous, but it was also strangely unemotional. I was moved by no desires or fears. In a sense, I was not moved by anything. I chose to open, to unbuckle, to loosen the rein. I say I chose, yet it did not really seem possible to do the opposite. On the other hand, I was aware of no motives. You could argue that I was not a free agent, but I am more inclined to think that this came near to being a perfectly free act than most anything that I have ever done. Necessity may not be the opposite of freedom, and perhaps a man is most free when instead of producing motives, he could only say, I am what I do. Then came the repercussion on the imaginative level. I felt if I were a man of snow, like a snowman, at long last beginning to melt, The melting was starting in my back and drip, drip, and presently trickle, trickle. I rather dislike the feeling. He goes on to say, really, a young atheist cannot guard his faith too carefully. (laughs) A young atheist cannot guard his faith too carefully. Dangers lie in wait for him on every side. It became patently absurd to go on thinking of spirit as either ignorant of or passive to my approaches. Even if my own philosophy were true, his atheism, how could this initiative lie on my side? My own analogy, as I now first perceive, suggested the opposite. If Shakespeare and Hamlet could ever meet, 
It must be Shakespeare's doing. Hamlet could initiate nothing. Who's Shakespeare? This is Mr. Brian, not C.S. Lewis talking now. Who's Shakespeare? Shakespeare's the author. Hamlet's the character. If Shakespeare and Hamlet could ever meet, it must be Shakespeare's doing. Hamlet could initiate nothing. My adversary, he's talking about God and Jesus. My adversary waved the point. It sank into utter unimportance. He could not argue about it. He only said, I am the Lord. I am that I am. I am. People who are naturally religious find difficulty in understanding the horror of such a revelation. Amiable agnostics will talk cheerfully about man's search for God. To me, as I then was, they might as well have talked, about the, talked to me about the mouse's search for the cat. That's how C.S. Lewis saw his conversion happening. Like Shakespeare introducing himself to Hamlet, like the mouse's search for the cat, God was after C.S. Lewis. God was hunting him down. Even in another place, he talks about being like the fox and the hound dog. God is searching for him. God finds him. God shakes him and wakes him up. And God moves C.S. Lewis from being a man who is blind to faith to a man who sees. God, friends, God is always the grand initiator. He always makes the first move. And Pastor Warren said it this morning in his introduction why? 1 John 4.19 says, we love. Why? Because we're so pretty, because we're so cute, because we're so righteous, because we're so smart, because I'm smarter than my neighbor. No, we love because he first loved us. And let me tell you, friend, one of the ways that you're being loved is right now hearing my preaching. Not because it's me, because it's the word of God. God loved God loved and God loves. And if you come to faith in Jesus Christ today, you will see and know his great love for you. And you'll look back, as C.S. Lewis looks back, into the history of your conversion and go, oh my goodness, I thought I was seeking God. Now I see all that he was doing, giving me that grandmother, that mother, that father, that friend, that book that helped me move toward Christ. I remember... Years ago, and I'm sure you guys have experienced this as well, playing hide-and-seek with, with Hayden when he was very small. And it's always so funny, right? Because he's about this tall, and let's go, let's play hide-and-seek. Yeah, let's play hide-and-seek. And what does he do? He goes and hides behind a couch, right? Or hides behind the recliner. And I'm tall enough that I can actually see him. <laughs> and there he is, you know. <laughs> you know, he's, all, he's like, Dad will never find me. And what do you do as a parent, you know? Where's Hayden? Where's Hayden? Right? You walk all over the place and the whole time, you know, the child, your, your child is doing the same thing, right? They're giggling, right? Oh, daddy can't find me, right? And all the time, you know exactly where he is. Then finally, what do you do? You look up and go, I found you. Like, ah, right? And you run around and tackle each other and tickle each other. Friends, God is like that, isn't he? He knows exactly where we are. And it's no difficulty for him to find us to search for us, to reveal himself to us. Whomever God seeks, whomever God seeks, he always finds. Whomever God calls, always comes. But notice where Jesus finds the blind man, the, the, the man formerly, the, the formerly blind man. 
he finds him cast out. Cast out. Look at verse 35 again. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him. He's been cast out of the synagogue. Now bereft of his religious culture, possibly cut off from friends and family, cut off from his community. He's now alone and adrift on some level in the world, cast out of the synagogue, cast out of his community, cast out of his culture and his religion. And why has he been cast out? Because of his simple testimony of this man that has restored his sight. He makes the simple testimony that this man has restored my sight, and he must be a righteous man. He must be a prophet. He's something more than a normal man. One interaction with Jesus, and this man's world is turned upside down. Think of it. One interaction with Jesus, and this man's world is turned upside down for the better. For the better. But let us not tell fun evangelical testimony stories to each other. That when you accept Christ, your life is going to be incredible. You're going to get the Ferrari. You're going to get the house. You're going to get the wife. You're going to get the job. You're going to get all these things. I remember a friend of mine coming from a church that she never went back to because the, whole, the pastor spent a whole sermon preaching, you're going to get it all back. That was the, the sermon and had the congregation all saying, you're going to get, you know, believe in Jesus and you're going to name it and claim it and you're going to get it all back, whatever that meant. You may not get it all back. You may lose it all when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This man sees that there's consequences to his faith, consequences to his decision. He is cast out of the synagogue. But it's the best place he could ever be. As I've titled this sermon, he's cast out and into Christ. Cast out and into Christ. I think of Jim Elliott, the great missionary who gave his life for Christ on the mission field, talking about the safest place to be was where? In the middle of God's will. That's the safest place to be, in the middle of God's will. But you see, the problem here is that, that really re religiosity, religiosity and relationship with Christ are always incompatible. Now, I say that religiosity, not religion, because Christianity is a religion, and we are religious people. But we reject religiosity. And the Pharisees' religiosity and relationship with Christ are incompatible. Friend, remember, Christ will seek you. And when he finds you, he will have all of you. He will have all of you. You must leave all behind and come and follow Christ. Number two, we see Jesus' question. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Back to 35 again. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? This is the most important question this man has ever been asked. This is the most important question you will ever be asked. It is the most important question you will ever be asked. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Son of Man? This is more important than where you will go to school. It's more important than where you will work. 
It's more important than if I should take that job or this job. It's more important than if I should move to this or that state. It's more important than should I marry that girl or that guy. It's more important than should we have children. Every question in life, and these are important questions. I don't want to trivialize them, but all these questions pale in comparison to this question, friend. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Each of us needs to answer that question for themselves today. Before you leave here, even right now, answer that question for yourself. Do I believe in the Son of Man? Do I believe in this Jesus who's been revealed to me in these scriptures? Do I believe in this Jesus that that strange man who's yelling at me is talking about from the pulpit? Do I believe what? Do I believe? Do I believe? What does it mean to believe? What is saving faith? R.C. Sproul is very helpful in this, uh, in a book I read years ago that really impacted me. And he says, uh, he says this, Faith is central to Christianity. The New Testament repeatedly calls people to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is a definite body of content to be believed. This is not just some emotional thing, right? We actually believe content about who Jesus is. At the time of the Reformation, the debate involved the nature of saving faith and what is saving faith. Luther said this. Luther said that the sort of faith that justifies or saves is a fetus viva, a living faith, one that inevitably, necessarily, and immediately yields the fruit of righteousness. Justification is by faith alone. We are saved by faith alone but not by a faith that is alone. You may have heard that before. We're saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. A faith without any yield of righteousness is not true faith. And this is where we see the the man being cast out, and, and as we continue in this story, we'll see that he responds in faith. It's not just this intellectual thing that I just say, oh yes, I believe, and then nothing happens. The Protestant reformers recognize that biblical faith has three essential aspects. We're going to work through this just for a moment. Three essential aspects. These are Latin, Latin terms, notitia, ascensus, and fiducia. Notitia refers to the content of faith. Okay, the content of faith. The, 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 the things we believe. There are certain things that we are required to believe about Christ. Namely, that He is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God, that He is our Savior, that He has provided atonement, satisfaction for our sins. That's the data, that's the the stuff that we must believe, right? When we say believe, that word creed, a creed means believe, a credo. Okay, so there's content to our faith. Number two, a census. So I could actually say, I understand all this data, okay? I can give an atheist this book and say, read this Gospel of John, and he could read it. And I've done this on the pier at Seal Beach one time with an atheist named Terry. And he's like, yeah, I've read it. I've read it, and I understand it. He has the notitia. He has the data. I get what it says. I understand that. Okay, But then there's a census. A census is the conviction that the content of our faith is true. It's not just saying that the words in here, I understand them, I understand the data, I understand the story, I understand what you're saying, but that actually I believe that this is true. I understand the content and I believe that it's true. That's called a census. 
We might have a doubt or two mixed with our faith, but there, there has to be a certain level of intellectual affirmation and conviction if we are to be saved. Before anyone can truly trust in Jesus, he has to believe that Christ indeed is the Savior, that he is who he claimed to be, and genuine faith says that the content or the notitia is true. But here's the interesting thing. Does that get me to salvation? Understanding the data and believing it's true. Understanding the Bible and believing it's true only gets me to demonic faith. It doesn't get me to salvation. There's another step called fiducia, which means personal trust and reliance. Personal trust and reliance. I understand what the Bible is saying. I actually believe that it's true, and I put my trust in Christ. I rely on Him. There's a chair up here. There's a bench over here. I could put this bench over here and say, you know, do you believe that that this bench will hold me? Do you believe that this stool, it's a stool, isn't it? It's not a bench. (laughs) Do you believe that'll hold me? I could say all day, well, it has four legs. It looks sturdy. It's made out of wood. I'm I'm sure I've got all the data down. Yes, it looks, yes, I do believe it'll hold me. Well, then sit down. No, I don't want to sit down. Well, you said you believe it'll hold you. I'm sure that it will. I really know that it will. Well, then sit on it. No, you can't make me sit on it. Okay, no, there's something wrong if I don't trust. I don't trust that that chair, that bench, that stool is going to hold me. There's not fiducia. There's not trust. There's not reliance. Finally, we have to move ourselves to trusting in the Savior, believing truly in Him, which has to do with our, our trust, our reliance, our affection. It's like being in the pool with your kid on the diving board, right? You're down there and you say, you're saying, you know, jump when they're a little bitty, right? Jump. You know, do you believe daddy's going to catch you? Uh-huh. Jump. No. <laughs> look how strong daddy is. Ooh, look how I'm big and strong. You believe daddy's big and strong? Yes. Do you believe I'm your daddy? Yes. Do you believe I love you? Yes. Jump. No. <laughs> Trust. Trust. Do you believe these words? Do you believe it's true? Jump. Jump. Trust. Trust. Number three, Jesus' revelation. Jesus' revelation. Jesus asked him this question Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and this is, this, is, this is like, you know, almost, com- this, it is comical, right? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Why does the blind man, he's not blind now, he, now why does the seeing man say, why does he say this? Who is he? Because when Jesus healed him, he was blind. Jesus never saw this man that healed him, right? He w- goes off and washes at the pool, and Jesus is not around. And so now Jesus comes up, he could have maybe recognized his voice, But he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, who is he that I may believe in him? And Jesus says to him, you have seen him. Don't let that just fly by. You were blind, but now you see. You have seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. And the man says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Notice that Jesus talks to the man. He uses words. Why? 
Listen to Paul in Romans 10, 9 through 17, as he describes salvation and the organs that are involved, if I can say it that way. Romans 10, 9 through 17. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, that, that, that thing that makes me who I am, that, that wholeness of myself, for, for with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then Paul puts this rhetorical question, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Right? You see what he's saying? You, you can't call if you haven't believed. And how are they to believe in, who, in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Yes, you must have faith. You must have this trust and reliance in Jesus Christ. And how do you get it? It comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And in our passage today, we actually see that the word of Christ is the literal word of Christ. Literally, the living word comes and presents himself before this man who had been blind, who now sees, and he says, it's me. I'm standing right here. He speaks to him, and the man hears, and the man believes. Confess with your mouth. Believe with your heart. Hear with your ears. And what do we do? What do we do when we're here, right? When we come to this church, what do you do? We preach. We preach the word. Why do we preach? So that people may hear and believe. So people may hear and believe. I remember meeting a, a lady at Panera that I saw a, a number of times and ended up sharing the gospel with her and inviting her to church. And she came and, and I don't know what she was expecting. But the next time I saw her at Panera, she said, your church is it's very, it's not what I expected. I think she was expecting some kind of you know, mantras or funny, I, I, don't, I don't really know, just some kind of emotional thing or some you know, smells and bells. I don't know what she expected, right? But it wasn't what she expected. She said, she said it was a real education. And I go, really? And she says, yes, I didn't. That's not what I expected. I meant to, to listen, read the Bible, and then you guys are explaining what it means. And, and it was a real education. And I said, praise God. And she continued to come. She continued to be educated until she said, I believe. And she stopped me one day and said, I believe. And I want to be baptized. And she was. And uh, she was baptized and came to faith in Christ. And we sent her off then later to, to Chicago. And she, she moved away. But we preach. Why? So that you may hear and believe. Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered. And who is he, sir? that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus reveals himself to the man. You have seen him. The blind man hears. 
The blind man sees. The man who is blind believes. And then what's the next thing he does? The man worships. The man worships. All true faith leads to worship. All true faith leads to worship. It's like falling in love. I mean, I'm not going to tell the whole story now, but you know, you've done it. I've done it, right? I've fallen in love with my wife when I saw her at Oklahoma Christian College walking across the campus and dream weaver, right? I see her, there she is, and I just, you know, you're smitten. And then next thing you know, it's like, you can't what? You can't stop talking about her. I'm talking to my guys in the dorm room. I'm telling her who this person is. I'm going on and on and on. And, and she's this and she's that and she's this and she's that. Why? Because suddenly something has changed in me. My heart has been quickened and I'm in love and I can't stop talking about her worth. Right? We worship. We love. We talk about. We esteem those we love. How much more the God of the universe who's loved us so much that he gave his only son for us. The blind man sees and he believes and then he worships. He worships. Our faith impacts our affections. Isn't it weird on some level if you take yourself out of this culture in a way, our cultural Christianity kind of step back and that we gather together with a whole bunch of people and we sing. It's kind of, it's a foreign kind of concept if you really think about it. Notice that, sorry, I'm going to go here. And it's a good thing. Do you realize that music and singing is outlawed by the Taliban? Do you know that? There's no singing. There's no joy. There's no affection for Allah because Allah is not God. Allah does not receive worship like our Heavenly Father receives worship. So our God is a great God that brings great joy and affection and love and esteem. And so when we gather together, we do this weird thing, which is sing. (laughs) You open up your mouth and you make a joyful noise. Some make more noise than others, right? But we make a joyful noise into the Lord and God is... Praise. God is worshipped. All good theology leads to doxology. All good theology leads to doxology. All good, all right doctrine leads to right practice. So our theology, what we believe about God, drives us to, to the praise of God. We can't help ourselves. And that's why I was super encouraged, uh, sister, this morning by, by meeting a new sister and how thrilled she was to be here, just walking in here this morning to say, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. She's lifting her hand. <laughs> She's very... Thank you, Jen. <laughs> and, and, and I was, I, as I stepped away from her and was talking with my wife, I mean, you know, tears come to my eyes as I'm talking to her and thinking, this is where you belong. This is what you're made for, to worship the true and living God. And that's why we must resist at every moment a government who says, stop that. Right? No, we're not going to stop that. We're not going to stop that. It's our final freedom. This is our final freedom, right? To be able to stand, to proclaim His goodness, His grace, to sing out loud that our hearts may be filled with the love of Jesus Christ, proclaim His greatness and goodness.
Number four, Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission. Jesus said then, For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. This is a pretty enigmatic statement by Jesus, isn't it? I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. He says, I came for judgment, right? John 5, Jesus says this about himself. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Who does not, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus says he came into the world to bring judgment, and his judgment is just. He looks and sees those who are blind and know it. They see themselves in their sin and their sickness and they long for a Savior. And he sees those who think they are well and they are righteous and they're self-righteous and they think that they're not blind. And he sees those people are going to come under judgment because they're rejecting the Savior. In uh, Mark chapter 2, Jesus is reclining with his, with his friends and the Pharisees see him there and the scribes and Pharisees say, Look, he's eating with, with sinners and tax collectors. And they ask his disciples, why does he, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? If you think you're all healthy, I didn't come for you. I didn't come for those who think they're righteous. I came for those who know that they're sinners. I came for those who know that they're sick. I came from those who, who know that they're blind and need salvation. Are you sick? Are you deaf? Are you blind? Are you a sinner? Jesus came for you. Jesus came for you. That takes us to Jesus' rebuke, number five. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things. And they said to him, are we also blind? You can, you can hear the, the sarcasm, right? The roll of the eyes in their, in their voice. That are, are we also blind? We? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. Uh, men sometimes are accused of not wanting to go to the doctor, right? There are times when you have that pain, you have that thing, and it's here, and it's there, and it's radiating, and it's feeling, and it's throbbing, and it's 
right? And you, and you just, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And our wives sometimes are like, just go to the doctor. Would you just go to the, right? You just, I see some pursed lips right now even. <laughs> There's a point at which you have to recognize the symptoms and you have to admit something's wrong with me and I need some help. I'll tell you, when I was probably 26 years old, somewhere around there, I had a kidney stone in the middle of the night and I woke up to a sharp pain, wacko, you know, like, a, like someone drove a, a rapier through my kidneys or whatever, just wing, you know, and, and I woke up and I came in and I told my wife, get up. And she's like, well, you know, wakes up kind of startled. And I said, you have to take me to the hospital now, right? Something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with me. And they took me and I was treated and I was okay. I went to the doctor because I was sick. The Pharisees are covered with disease and illness. It's called sin. It's ravaged their, their whole body from their brains to their hearts to their heads to every, every single thing about them. It's called total depravity. All of us are sick with sin. And the Pharisees are saying, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. They're ready to kill over dead. And they're saying, I'm not sick. Jesus says to them, if you were blind, if you knew that you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say that we see your guilt remains. Jesus is saying to them, you're blind to the Son of Man. You're blind to your own sin. You're blind to your need of a Savior. You are sick, but they will never call the doctor. At my school, I teach uh, elementary special education, and it's popular these days at our schools to kind of give these children little mantras to say and, and stuff, and these popular, um, you know, it's like cat posters, right? Popular little things to say. And one, one that's popular is, I got this, right? And they teach the children, you know, when you're, you know, you want to have a growth mindset. And so when you have a, a problem, you should tell yourself, you know, I got this. And this week I was working with one of my little girls and, and uh, I told her, you know, you know, you're doing a good job or whatever. And she did the, she did the obligatory little fist pump, you know, and I got this. Right? And, and, it's, and there's nothing sinful or wrong about that necessarily, right? But the problem is that some of you are still doing that. You're sinners. You need a savior. You're blind. You're deaf. You're lame. Your heart is hard. And you're saying to yourself, I got this. I got this. Friend, you don't got this. You don't got this. You're not a good person. You're not righteous. You're not holy. You're not pure. You're like the rest of us sitting here. You're a sinner. Just like all of us. And the only one who's got this is Jesus Christ. Because he took this upon himself at the cross. He took your sin upon himself at the cross. And he died there for you and for me. And he was raised three days later. He was raised for our justification. And we know that now we have eternal security with him forever because he's got this. <laughs> he's got this. God's got you. And you can, this morning, put yourself into his loving hands.
I pray this morning that, that each of you, as you've heard the gospel proclaimed from this pulpit, would put your hope and trust in Christ. And like the blind man, you would say, I believe. And then you would worship. Worship Jesus the Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. You are a great God. And it has been an incredible blessing together with these saints to proclaim your greatness and goodness through song, through the reading of your scriptures, through the reading of your word, by taking communion together and remembering the death of Jesus Christ, and now by hearing the proclamation of your word from the Gospel of John. Father, we thank you for this time. And we pray, Lord, that even now, if there are any in this congregation who have yet to put their hope and trust in you, that you would take away their blindness, that they would see the beauty of your Lord, of our Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.